0: What was a darker moment or a closer to death moment the night that you got blown up and you're laying in the dirt or the night that you're laying in that room coming off of all the drugs?
1: Um, you know, coming the, with the coming off the, the drugs and the depression and stuff was scarier than Holy sitting smokes. there on the dirt because laying there in the dirt, I was dying for something great sitting there dying uh, because of pills or alcohol or suicide because of depression or whatever I was literally dying for nothing and the thing is that you have to realize that uh, uh, you know it, it, it's worth living if you can make your life worth living for
0: Welcome again to another episode of Level Up. I am Matt Rogers. As always, thank you for joining us today. Please make sure you like and subscribe. Always give a five-star rating. We appreciate that so much. Today is a great day. One of the things I'm always most proud of is the guests that we have on this show. And as you can see, I'm fatigued out, baby. I ain't messing around. This was intentional. I'm wearing this hat, these colors, because... Today is the day. Uh, I'm actually like fidgety, Eli. My my sidekick, Eli, our uh, co EP and engineer, is here as well. I'm I'm excited. Like I don't get nervous before uh, interviews, but I do get like pumped because like, man, y'all know my background on Lifetime, coming home where we brought home soldiers and surprised their family. So there is a a real special place in my heart for those men and women who serve our country. And then you come across someone who actually paid a huge price servicing our country, and that just takes it to a whole new level. Today, I have uh, a U.S. Army Airborne Infantry who was stationed in Fort Bragg, he was in Baghdad for 13 months in 2005. he was promoted to sergeant in 2006. and his story is absolutely amazing. Um, he lost his leg in the line of duty. we're going to talk about that. and he was awarded the uh, he was pinned the Purple Heart by Admiral Mullen, which was the Secretary of Defense. And after spending three years in the hospital having over 50 plus surgeries, he is now the strongest amputee powerlifter, and I am so pumped and honored to have him on Level Up today. Please welcome retired Staff Sergeant Casey Mitchell is in the house. Up, yeah, oh, man. How are you? Good. Everyone knows you as that one legged monster on Instagram. I started following you when you had about nine or ten thousand followers, and now you got over a quarter of a million people that are watching you. People are bored, I guess. There's nothing No else way, man. You've been everywhere. <laughs> Tell us and show me some of the some of the magazines and stuff that you've been in, your accomplishments. No, I was uh, we sitting here talking. I mean, you know,
1: when I, like, started this whole journey, I remember, you know, like, uh, I was traveling to an event in Ohio. And I had this camera guy. And, I, you know, like you said, I was kind of fairly new in the industry. And uh, I just remember walking by all these fitness magazines and being, like, joking but not joking and being, like, one day I'm going to be... In these magazines and powerlifters aren't really in like muscle fitness magazine uh flex magazine and stuff like that and then so like you know yeah sure enough you know my uh, very first magazine was um muscle fitness i ended up being in that and the cover you know the rock you know yeah. and then yeah and then i was featured in yeah, uh, muscle Fitness, which was cool and then um I uh you know phil heath you know one of the oh, greatest yeah. you know bodybuilders of the time now I was featured in that, and then uh, I was featured again in Muscle and Fitness as well, and another one. And you know, they had a big article again in that. And then the one that I was just like, it's not one of the biggest magazines, but it was like huge for me because it was like just the biggest powerlifting magazine. But it had a uh, Eddie Hall, who's yeah. like I don't fanboy over nobody, but this guy <laughs> to me is a legend. He's a just a deadlifting world champion. And then so, you know, you got a picture of him and then it has like the one leg monster right up on top above him. And that's and so the, you know, kind of featured in that. And that was that was uh, that was it's been a crazy ride for sure. You know, this whole journey from the get go.
0: When did when was the name the one leg monster birth? Because obviously and we're going to talk about this. You know, you served our country. You lost your leg. And we're definitely going to talk about how you went through that downtime battled depression battled pills alcohol and then of course now you are where you're at now one of the strongest power lifters out there you know and hands down the strongest uh amputee power out there but you really focus on deadlift which is amazing because you know in the natural you only have one leg how did you become and birth this name that one legged monster
1: uh, it was just kind of given to me. Uh, it was just kind of some things that people would say around my gym and stuff like that. You know, I was just like, bro, you're like the one leg monster. And then I was like, one day I just kind of changed my Instagram handle, to that one leg monster. And it's stuck ever since. And, you know, it's funny cause I'll be walking around airports or wherever and they're like, Oh, one leg monster. You know, it's not even Casey, you know, it's just like one leg monster. And it's just kind of a thing that's, uh, uh, that's kind of just become a persona, I guess you could say. And, uh, kind of allows me to kind of live up to that name as get, you know, as, as the best that I can is just, you know, one big monster, man, just do monstrous stuff.
0: I've been watching you from a distance now for the last couple of years, man. And, uh, there, there are, uh, you know, I, I like to be inspired and that's what this whole podcast is about. I, I am inspired by people and their stories and man, uh, people who inspire me, the rock, you inspire me. Um, your Instagram is the real deal. Take me back to, I, I want to go back to how it all started, where you grew up, when you enlisted. I, I want, I want to know everything because your story is absolutely amazing. So let's start with like where you grew up. Did you always knew you were going to be in the service?
1: Yeah. Uh, so like the service was like a thing that was just like bred into me. I believe, you know, my grandpa, who's uh, like a hero to me, you know, he was a two-time Purple Heart recipient out in World War II. Um, just a gangster, man. Just like the hardest man I've ever met in my entire life. And, uh,
0: And you got a, I was going to say, you got a Purple Heart, too. Tell people, how do you earn the Purple Heart? What is the criteria for getting a Purple Heart?
1: Wounded wounded in action, you know, uh, from the enemy, you know. So, uh, you know, my grandpa, he was wounded uh, in, I believe, Normandy. And then, you know, me, I was wounded in Afghanistan. So that's how you kind of, like, get the Purple Heart. It's kind of like one of those awards that, it's a great award, but it's, like, not one you really want to get. Right. Mm-hmm. you know, but it's definitely earned for sure. Well, you know, if you, if you do get it, absolutely.
0: So your grandfather got two, you said? Yeah.
1: He was shot. And then he was also hit by a hand grenade. Yeah. Oh, God. Pretty much a badass man, you know? So, yeah. So like, you know, I always grew up looking up to him and just, yeah, I, I remember even when I was like younger and in school, I would just go to these little military camps and stuff like that. And, uh, I liked it. And, um uh, You know, uh, as I grew, you know, I grew up in Exeter, a small city in Tulare County, um, probably like about 45 minutes south of uh, Fresno, um, a very small city. Uh, Everybody kind of knows everybody type of city. And um, uh, as I started going through high school, you know, I became a very good athlete and there was the potential of me going to college and playing football. Um, And just as I got older and got closer to it, um, I just still was, you know, really focused on the military. And then one of my uh, guys that I went to high school with, um, he uh, graduated early and then deployed to Iraq and uh, got killed overseas. And it made me even more, I, I don't know, mad and upset and uh, wanting to join even more because of that. Really? And so the whole college thing kind of like slowly just kind of went away. And I just in my head, I was like, I just want to join the military. And so that's basically what I did. I, you know, I graduated in 2003 I enlisted in 2004, and you know, I think the only reason I hung around a little bit for a little while is because I had like a girlfriend at the time that was trying to persuade me out of it, kind of a thing, and right. didn't really want me to go. And then uh, one day, I just I went down the recruiting station, and uh, nobody knew. And I went down there and uh, sat down with them, and and uh, told them I just wanted to join. And they said, "Well, what do you want to do?" And I said, "I, I just want to be up in the mix. Like I want to be, you know, I want to I want to be doing the stuff." And they said, "Okay, so you want to join infantry?" And I said, "Yeah."
0: So, dude, what what is that? Why you lost your friend right out the gates, and you want to go into the line of fire like your friend? I mean, knowing that, I mean, you you know we we use it as a tagline. Oh, they put their lives on the line, and it sounds so common to us, but you really, really are like that. Was attractive to you,
1: huh? Uh, yeah. It's, it was it was attractive to me in the sense of uh, I wanted to feel like I was really a part of it. You know, uh, uh, I, I just felt like. I could do it. And I knew what I could like, basically like bring, you know, I knew my mindset, my athleticism, I was decently smart. I understood the military, um, you know, and I just felt like I was actually, that was, I mean, obviously I could have just signed up to be a cook or something. Sure. Uh, But I I felt like I had a lot more to give and I wanted to uh, give that, you know, I wanted to give myself to that. And uh, it was, uh, it was the infantry. It was something that I, I really thought was the, to do and you know and, and and be proud of like you know I, that's the thing too is like I wanted I'm not saying like people that serve as a cook or something because everything's needed but sure. me personally right I wanted to look back and be like you know years down the road my daughter's like older or whatever and I'm older you know to sit back and be like man I was in that yeah. and people just really kind of look up and respect and admire um that and uh not just that I just like I said it's a lot of pride infantry infantry it's it's, it's very prideful and it's very selfless because, like you said, you know you're signing up, and as an infantryman, you're not signing up and getting deployed and being put somewhere where you're, you're not going to be in the stuff. You know what I mean? You're going to be in it.
0: Do you uh, feel when when you're in Baghdad and you're on in infantry and you're on the front line? Do you feel fear, or do you not feel it?
1: Well, you know, that's the thing is, ever, you could be the baddest. You could be a Navy SEAL. You could be Delta Force. You could be whatever you want. Uh, you're always you're always in fear, uh, but Uh, What happens is, is when like, you know, pops off, uh, training comes into play, training and survival and uh, instinct. And that's just it just it takes over. And that's why that's why I just feel like, you know, the military, you know, we've just a little bit of a different breed, you know, Uh, you know, you, you train so much ready for that one event to happen. And when it happens, you it's it's just repetitive. You just do what you were trained to do.
0: And it, and it, 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 happened to you in, you know, pretty much the worst way short of losing your life. Walk us through that day. What, what happened?
1: Um, yeah, so this is a, you know, I did a Baghdad in 05, 06. Um, I was based out of North Carolina, got back, got promoted to Sergeant, uh, and then got uh, reenlisted. And I uh, got sent to Fort Lewis, Washington, where um, I would be put with a brand new striker brigade up there. Um, and you know we're we at the time when I was up there you know the focus was at, uh, was Iraq and we went to uh, a training facility called um Port Irwin um, where you get ready to prep to go to your deployment country and it was Iraq um, while we were actually there um a couple of weeks in um we got orders that we were going to be moved over to Afghanistan and be the first striker brigade to ever go into Afghanistan um there had never been strikers there before and so uh total change of training uh total change of language total change of the way that people live and just dealing with the whole entire country itself it was completely you know three, uh, 360 compared to what we were getting ready to do with iraq so you know we started transitioning into getting ready for afghanistan and then in 2009 you know we landed in kandahar province and uh uh, landing there, you know, it, you know, we knew Afghanistan was pretty bad. It's a whole different beast than Iraq. And, um,
0: Kandahar, Afghanistan is the real deal. Like that's pretty rough. where it, it's pretty it rough. was and going. I tell people yeah.
1: I was in Baghdad. Um, I did Missoul in Iraq. I was out, I was in Fallujah, Ramadi. You know, I've been all out there and those are, those are bad spots, but um, Kandahar and then the, uh, the Argandar River Valley and then the Maywan district, That's hell on earth, and that's what I used to tell people, man. Especially the Argonaut River Valley, it's it's hell on earth inside that thing, and it's rough. And um, yeah, that's where we got pushed out to uh, at first. Was just a a little tiny base that we kind of built up once we got there. And uh, it was funny because we kind of patrolled the area, and it was uh, the enemy didn't really know what the hell we were. You know, they didn't know what they'd never seen these things before in their country, and uh, these vehicles. There's these basically these very high tech big. Uh, like tanks on wheels they have eight wheels and what it does is it holds uh troops inside a uh, inside a compartment so you have a driver then you have me who's a commander of the vehicle i'm standing out of the hatch and then you have two air guards out the back hatch with machine guns and then you have a, a gunner um he's inside the vehicle kind of like in a jet pilot cage where he um Maneuvers his fifty-cal machine gun, or you know, Mark nineteen grenade launcher, or whatever they have on there, um, from a TV screen, basically, and thermals and stuff. And he's like in a cockpit, and that thing just moves around and does lasers and does all kinds of high tech stuff. And uh, and and you and then you got a squad of soldiers inside that vehicle that at any time we could stop, drop the hatch, and unload a platoon of soldiers on top of anything and anybody. You know, yeah. um, that's what the whole criteria of that 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 type of unit is: is to get a uh, these high-end vehicles that are very, you know, deadly vehicles. You know, these, these things can, you know, get anywhere, go anywhere, yeah. and, uh, and drop soldiers very, very quickly in an area and maneuver on the enemy very quickly. Um, they're very stealthy, um, and, and they're very fast. And so, you know, they, they, they didn't know at first. And when we first got there, we would get hit with little IEDs, or they would pop shot at us, and they were just trying to figure us out. And, and then um, as time went, they got a little bit smarter, and we we started to push you, into our,
0: go ahead. Let me ask you this. Why are you there? Cause this is under Bush Jr. Why are you there in Afghanistan to do what? What's the mission? Uh,
1: the, the mission was, for, was there was, um, obviously the Taliban, um, you know, uh, there was this high end, there was high end guys that we were, you know, there to look for. Um, we were there to, uh, push and kill the Taliban basically and push them out of that country. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people that are saying we shouldn't have been there. We shouldn't have been Iraq and, and, and whatnot. But, you know, the thing is with me is like, you know, our, our country was attacked. There, you know, bin Laden said that it was his plan. Bin Laden was Pakistan, Afghanistan area. Um, Iraq, you know, was Saddam Hussein, uh, you know, the, the, the thing was there were two different types of wars. You know, Saddam Hussein, uh, he was uh, he was kind of like a Hitler over there you know he would the things that he was doing to his own people were, were devastating um, and Iraq um, could definitely be like a, a like a Dubai down the road or like a Kuwait um, it's very established and they're very up on times you know they're, they're it's not um, kind of like in the stone age when we went to Afghanistan it's stone age it's little villages here and there like you know cities that are little places that aren't on maps you know you'll be you know, you'd be hiking through mountains or whatever, and all of a sudden you run up on a on a village. Yes, yeah, not even. Nobody even knows that's that. You know they live in mud they live in mud houses.
0: Can I ask you this when you're there is the mission to eliminate Taliban. You see them, they're gone. Is that the mission?
1: yeah, that, the mission for us was to eliminate Taliban, um push them out of the area, uh, make real good way with the people. you know, and here's the thing is like, you know, I, I'm pretty honest about it. is like we you know when we would sit down and we would talk to the villagers and the elders, you know, they didn't want us there and they didn't want the Taliban there. They just really want to live in peace. You know, they don't, they don't, they don't like the Taliban they don't like us, you know, it's just the way it was. Um, you know, uh, the Taliban kills their people, comes into their houses, you know, uh, we, you know, some of the things that we've, we we would see is, you know, is the, uh, you know, the, 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 the religious book, you know, they would, uh, the Taliban would go in there and rip pages out of it because they didn't believe in that part of the book, you know, right. and, and it's just, it's just the way it is, you know. But the, the villagers they can't I mean, we've seen there's there's movies out there that show the Taliban coming into villages and because you're talking to the US or so you're not doing what they, they they see's fit or what they like, oh they 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 take they cut your arms off, they cut your heads off, and the villagers are uh, defenseless they can't they can't defend themselves against those type of uh, soldiers
0: and do they appreciate the fact do they appreciate the fact that you're there to help them because i mean you guys aren't the ones going and ripping the pages out and you're you're there to push the bad guys out
1: yeah i mean you know it was always like a fine line you know they didn't like sometimes you know they they didn't like when we came into their villages either sometimes some did there was some that we just got welcomed with open arms and they were so excited to see us and then there's some that just didn't really want us there because they knew if we were there that it would provoke the Taliban to come in there and ask them questions and, you know, torture and and, and just do a lot of things. And
0: So tell me about that night. Tell me, to, or the day. I don't know, it was a day or night. Like, what what happened?
1: Yeah, so I basically, you know, I'd been there just a little over 12 months. I was basically getting ready to go home. Um, uh, I was very, very good at finding uh IEDs. You know, I have many videos that, you know, I'm finding and detonating IEDs. You know, I, was, I did it in Iraq as a route clearance guy. Um, and, and when I got to Afghanistan, you know, everybody knew that I was pretty good at finding these things. Um, but, you know, uh, we, we took off uh, in the middle of the night um, to go just do some patrolling and reconning uh, of some areas that we knew um, I, IEDs were being in place by the Taliban. And so we just, we took off and I was a second vehicle in the uh, patrol. Um, my lieutenant was up in the front. And uh, as we were going, I just remember <laughs> we went down into this riverbed and we were going to go down in the riverbed and come up out of the riverbed and then continue our, our reconnaissance. And uh, when we came out of the riverbed, you know, the goal is to stay in each other's tracks uh, because that means the vehicle in front got through, then you're more than likely getting through. So you stay, you try to stay in the vehicle in front of tracks. Well, because of the way our vehicle came up, you know, we had we were up pretty high. You know, you got four wheels in the air and it came back down. My driver got a little bit out of the tracks and with dust and everything like that and vision, um, he, he just went left of the tracks a little bit and there was a major pressure plate bomb IED uh, sitting right there and uh, detonated directly underneath like where I was standing at. Um, when it detonated, uh, you know, had my whole squad in there. Um, I remember just waking up and thinking that we got into a, a vehicle roller, like we just rolled over our vehicle. Because the last thing I could remember was, you know, the, the, the front of the vehicle going up and then coming down and then, you know, so I, I didn't think that I got blown up. I thought we rolled our vehicle. And so I just remember looking and I could see like my whole squad of guys were unconscious, you know, and then there was all this smoke. And then I started smelling, you know, and, and realizing, like oh, damn, we've been hit by a bomb, you know. And so I started screaming at them to wake up because we have had a you know my my captain and a bunch of other guys got uh, burned alive in a, in one of these vehicles from a bomb it and uh, just caught on fire and there was nothing they could do to get out of it and they burned you know um alive and it was a uh, very very hor- horrific to see and to hear and um,
0: you saw that you saw that and heard that
1: yeah yeah we we so i mean not to get too much into it but like yeah we uh you know could hear our commander on the radio telling us what was going on while he was inside the vehicle he was trapped and couldn't get out but um you know, solid, solid dude. But, um, you know, so that was an instinct for me uh, was to get these guys out of this vehicle. So, uh, we, you know, that didn't happen to us, you know. And so once they started waking up and getting out, um, they all got out of the vehicle. And then I started to try to get myself out. And then I realized my legs aren't working, you know. And uh, uh, I immediately thought my legs were both both blown off, you know. So I um, had a little little helmet light. So I turned the light on, And, um, I started like feeling my, um, body with my hands, you know, and, uh, when I went and looked at my hands, I could just see there was like battery acid oil and just blood all over my hands. And so I started to try to get myself out. And when I went to grab these little handles that are hanging from the ceiling, I'm right hand dominant. So I went to go grab it with my right hand and then realized my hand wasn't working. And, uh, you know, I I didn't know what had happened to it at the time. I mean, I could see it, but it wasn't working. So I started to try to grab myself with my left hand and get myself out. And then my squad just realized that, like, you know, we're Sergeant Mitchell at and, and knew I was obviously stuck inside the vehicle. So when they came in, they were screaming at me and I just told them that I, I was stuck and I couldn't move my legs. And uh, I remember them just turning their flashlights on and looking at me and I could just see that, like, the look in their eyes is like, like how messed up I was, I was you know. And then uh, they just told me they're going to get me out of the vehicle and uh, the... <laughs> I just remember my legs were going to go out first. And when my um, one of my soldiers, his name is Baker, he actually passed away a couple of years ago from cancer. Um, he uh, picked me up and I remember my right leg just kind of swinging around freely. It, you know, I had dislocated my right leg at the knee completely. And then my left leg, it was still there, but it was, it was pretty, it was pretty battered up. And um, they just carried me out of the vehicle and put me around the backside. And then uh, my doc, Doc Kirker, He also uh, passed away as well, um, since our deployment, um, uh, he, um, came around and he was an older cat, you know, wore like a Harley bandana and stuff like that. Just a real cool guy. And he was just always really good at like, you know, he's really good at what he did. And I remember him just like looking at me and telling me to like, you know, stay awake and stuff like that. And he was, you know, uh, going to give me some morphine for the pain. And I just remember just grabbing him and being like, how bad am I? And he's like, you're bad. You know, we gotta, we gotta stop all this bleeding. Um, you know, we got excited. So he, we, he
0: didn't he, sugarcoat. He told you straight up.
1: He told me straight up. Cause that's just, that's just how we work. You know, you know, you know, we're not, we don't, we've never, that was the one thing that we never did is we never like over there. We never sugarcoated. I mean, one of my good friends, Scott, you know, McKay, Sergeant McKay, he got shot in the butt cheeks. And it was the funniest thing that any of us had ever seen, you know, and, and, you know, he got shot right in the butt flesh and no bone just through and through it Was the funniest thing I've ever seen. I'm and,
0: laughing cause you know, you're laughing, but I don't feel like I should be laughing.
1: It's, it was funny. I mean, we laughed, he laughed, everybody kind of laughed. And then, I mean, that's just how we were. I mean, we we we've been around it so much over there. It was kind of like the norm to deal with yeah. stuff like that. It wasn't, uh, I mean, don't get me wrong. My first doc, he tapped out because he was just mentally done bandaging us up and losing lives, you know. So, yeah, it was his first, he was a doc Fulton. You know, he just got to a point halfway to the point deployment, he was just done. He couldn't do it anymore. He was burnt. You Know, I mean, one of my good, one of my old, one of my like uh squad leaders that was a squad leader with me, you know, um, uh, Sergeant Brown, uh, he got we called it a little toe popper, he stepped on a pressure plate, and blew his blew his like foot off, you know, and he's sitting there like talking and he's like, Well, this sucks. He goes, Now, I, now I lost my jump shot, you know what I mean, and that's, that's just the way
0: unbelievable,
1: that's just the way it is, you know, the mentality just you know, yeah, you're scared and yeah, it happens, but. When it does, it just does. And you just kind of deal with it, you know, you know.
0: So he tells you, he tells you that you're messed up pretty bad. Then what happens? Yeah.
1: So, you know, um, he gets me, you know, IV'd up and he's, you know, he's trying to stop all the bleeding. And then uh, we call for medevac and medevac comes and lands and they get me and uh, my driver, my driver was the other one. He got a sustained a, a brain injury. Um, they get us loaded up on the, on the helicopter. And uh, we haul ass to uh, Kandahar airbase mm-hmm. um where i was then unloaded and taken into and i remember the flight and i remember getting unloaded and then i remember getting wheeled into the um you know the emergency part there and then uh right before i was kind of going out that's when admiral mullen showed up you know i had known admiral mullen wow. that's a little the bit.
0: secretary of defense right
1: secretary of defense yeah i didn't. wow he he had he he remember, when my name came up because you know he's around and he was working a lot hand in hand with my brigade because of the missions that we were doing at the time and when he, he, he was around my, um, start, one of my sergeant majors at the time, um, that knew me real well. And, uh, when my, they heard my name, you know, come in, you know, uh, he came over and, uh, uh awarded me my purple heart. Like, you know, another certificate and everything I got to print that all up. but, you know, he brought a purple heart and pinned me right then and there in uh, the bed. And then, uh, I don't remember anything after that. I woke up one time in Germany, um, for a little bit and I woke up from, um, 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 like a little like remembrance of the bomb I, I felt like a bomb went off again and it woke me up and startled me a little bit you know and then I uh, went uh, the la- last time I woke up was was in flight from Germany to the States I remember waking up and being in an airplane it was just like all red light and I can remember seeing all the wounded soldiers that were on that flight and I just remember asking for a little bit of water and they gave me a cat full of water And then after that, I I woke up in the ambulance that transport us from the airport there in uh, Washington, D.C. to Walter Reed Hospital. And I remember this girl, you know, she had been wounded uh, overseas and uh, she was pretty startled and pretty, you know, frightened and stuff. And I remember just trying to talk to her and tell her she's going to be all right. and You know, we're at the best medical facility and things like that.
0: Um, I remember getting wheeled into. uh, Did it ever cross your mind? Did you ever think you were did you ever think you were going to die?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I thought when I was laying there on that dirt uh, in Afghanistan, I, I thought I was going to die. You know, I started going to shock and started to kind of go in and out and uh, the bleeding was pretty bad. And so I, yeah, I mean, you don't, yeah, I mean, it crosses your head, to, you know, you're like, you know, I couldn't move. I couldn't do anything. and I just felt pretty helpless. Uh yeah, and I really did. I I thought you know I thought I was gonna you die, get scared. You know? Like,
0: did you see anything? Like, do you believe in God? Do you believe in heaven and hell? Like, do you see any of that stuff?
1: No, that's the thing. Is like you know I, I I've been through so much and I've seen so much and um I I have this whole theory is it's like you know the, the the God thing is you know there's so many different types of religions out there and so many different types of things. Um, how do you know which one that you're believing in is the God and not the devil? You know because the devil apparently plays tricks and there's so many different religions. I, I believe in just a higher power. Um, you know, and, uh, uh, at the time when it comes, I mean, I didn't see no light and no tunnel. I didn't see anything, you know, I just, um, you know, I, the whole religion thing kind of left me, um, after a lot after that deployment, you know, I seen some of the most, most amazing men get taken, you know, and I, by cruel, cruel savages, you know, and, uh, you know, you kind of just kind of go numb to a lot of that religious stuff, you know, and I, there was never a point where I was sitting there praying to God to uh, save me. And that's, you know, and that's, and that's, and, and it hurts my family's feelings. My family are, are hardcore religious, you know, and they all go to church and stuff. And it's just me. I've just, I'm just going to wait till the end. And, and where I go is where I go. And, you know, I just, but like I said, I do believe that, you know, on a higher power, I just don't choose religions. I guess you could say. Did you grow up
0: uh, like Christian or Catholic or anything like that?
1: Yeah, I grew up Christian, and then my, uh, you know, my ex-wife, you know, I grew up around there. You know, I was with there, you know, her forever, and her family's like diehard Catholic, you know, and so, you know, I'm around it, you know, and and and, you know, like I said, my family, yeah, they're all Christian, and you know, my sisters and all them, they go to church every Sunday, and my family goes to church every Sunday, and I grew up going to church every Sunday, um, but what I realize is, you know, that when when it when it's uh, you're sitting there and you're getting a big group before walking out of that uh, those going out those gates. Praying never helped, you know, and that was just a thing for me. It's just the only thing that was going to help me survive was myself and my buddies to my left and to my right. And that was it. Um, you know, I, you know, and, and, and like I said, it's not that I have anything against religion or anything like that. It's just that I just choose to uh, just believe that there's a higher power and not choose an actual like religion.
0: Do you ever think like maybe the prayers of your family over you helped or does that never?
1: Absolutely. Trust me. My family tells me that all the time. (laughs) (laughs)
0: And what do you say? All the time.
1: You know, my mom tells me all the time. She prays for me every day, you know, and my sisters too. And even, even my, even my girl that I'm with now, you know, she, you know, will tell me she's, you know, pray a little bit for me and stuff in here. And Hey, maybe, maybe that's the case. And I appreciate it, you know, and, and um, you know, but for me, I've just seen too much and have been through too much to kind of, feel a certain way about a certain thing, you know? Sure.
0: And that, I mean, so you're in the hospital for three years and have over 50 surgeries. Is that right?
1: Yeah. So it, it got real hard to kind of keep track of all the surgeries, you know, cause they started operating on me pretty much immediately in Afghanistan. Um, and then, so when I was at Walter Reed, I was at Walter Reed for uh, just a little over a year, uh, going through surgeries and rehab um, and then I transferred out to, uh, Balboa, San Diego, which is a naval hospital. Uh, the only reason we transferred out to there is to be closer to family. Um, you know, my family was only four hours from there instead of across the country from California to DC. Hey,
0: um, mama needed you home so she could pray over you so you get better, bro. What's that? I said, mama needed you home so she could pray over yeah. you so you get better, bro. <laughs> yeah, for sure. My mom, <laughs>
1: my, me and my mom are very close. You know, even to this day, we're one my mom's like, I call her on the daily. We talk every day and problems that I'm having, it could be anything. My mom is like, that's, that's who I talk so to. Awesome. Yeah. My mom and me are very close, but, uh, you know, no, we, we, you know, when I got blown up, um, my daughter was only two months old, mm-hmm. you know? So, you know, we didn't want my daughter growing up without family or being away around away from family, you know, and, uh, my wife at the time she needed, you know, some help, you know, she had a brand new newborn and then she had a, you know, husband that was wounded and uh, pretty, pretty, pretty beat up and bad. And, you know, they, my daughter and my uh, wife at the time, you know, they lived in the hospital with me. I mean, my daughter's, you know, whole fir- first year of her life was hospital. You know, my daughter didn't get to roll around on the floors all the time and stuff like that. She didn't have a house, you know, it was hospital. And that's, you know, you look at my, you know, pictures that I have of my daughter, her first year, it's a lot of it is at, at Walter Reed Hospital. Great experience, you know. Uh, you know, right. Uh, she, you know, my daughter has a personal letter written to her from uh, Michelle Obama. Michelle Obama loved my daughter. She, uh, Michelle came to visit the hospital of wounded soldiers. awesome. And, what's that?
0: That's awesome.
1: Yeah, and met my daughter, and my daughter threw up on her at a couple of no shows. She was great. Yeah, I threw up right on this big old brooch she had on her that she had just got from uh, her husband. And the funniest thing is, that she didn't even flinch.
0: Didn't even, so cool. didn't, didn't
1: even bother her. And and then she told us, she's like, anytime you guys need a babysitter, you want a break, Sky can come out to the White House and hang out, and we'll take care of her. And she was really She was dead serious about it. Dude, and that's it was awesome. So funny. Yeah, it was the funny thing was is the, uh, you know she uh was coming back and uh she had her people uh make find out if me and my family was still there because she wanted to see my daughter again. And when she came, she uh, came into the uh, I was actually at physical therapy at the time going through um, with my amputation. And uh, Michelle came in there and uh, just took my daughter and was just had her for a long time and then uh, wrote her a letter. like just got a, got a piece of paper, found a piece of paper and, and, and wanted to write her a letter, you know, and wrote her a letter. And we still have that letter to this day, you know, that Michelle wrote my daughter, you know, and it's personal. It's really cool. You know, isn't and, it?
0: Isn't it awesome? how when you take politics out of things and you just look at the humanity side of people, like we're all for the most part, really, really good people. When you take the bull crap out of it.
1: She also, I mean, she's a mom. She, I mean, shes you know, a lot of kids and, and you can tell she's very motherly. And, you know, I, you know, I, I don't, I don't mind Michelle at all. She like very, when she walks in, she just has a, she's a very solid presence, very sweet. I never thought anything was fake. You know, like I, I mean, she had no reason to call and try to find out if we, like, have her secretary call to see if we were still there. She wanted to see my daughter. And that was just the way it was and, and always told, you know, always was trying to take her, you know. So it was really sweet and it was kind of cool. And, uh, you know, I, I try to explain to my daughter, you know, my daughter's, you know, about to be 11 now. And I just tell her how, how cool that was for her. And, you know, she's taken that letter to school for show and tell. And, you know, I think it's a, the a first, 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 you know, African-American first lady ever. and You know, really cool. You know, and so yeah, it's a little cool little thing, little story that she gets to kind of run with for, you know, and have for the rest of her life, you know.
0: And she gets older and you play that game like two truths and a lie. And like her, tr- her truth is going to be, I puked on Michelle Obama. Yeah. Like, that's yeah. freaking crazy. Yeah. So like the whole time you're in the hospital, are you thinking like, I'm going to get out of here and I'm going to be a power lifter. I'm going to be the strongest guy ever.
1: No, uh, no, not at all. I mean, I was actually very upset because, you know, at the time, I, I was like, I'm going to get back and get my, I'm going to get it together. And I'm going st- to stay in the military. I wasn't trying to get out. I was trying to stay in. And, um, once I got to San Diego and it was getting closer and closer and, and I kept talking to them about it, they basically told me that there's just, <clears throat> I'm too high risk for them to stay in as far as injuries, yeah. you know, um, I'm not going to be able to ever do, you know, the things that I was able to do. And so, uh, they basically just told me that, you know, we have to medically retire you. And, um, I didn't honestly tell you, I didn't know what the hell I was going to do. Um, I, I, I do, while I was in San Diego, I did start working with the border patrol, um, started doing some undercover stuff with those guys, started going there, down there, San Diego and, uh, teaching the, uh, some of the border patrol agents, um, tact, you know, tactics and things like yeah. that. Um, and I was out there patrolling, uh, and doing things with, um, some of these, uh, these border patrol agents and I really enjoyed it. And then um, we had like an incident where uh, we kind of like had to get into a foot chase and I wasn't an unable to do that.
0: Mm. Uh, so and, what you, and, uh, what, like, what did you, you do? Know, you, me, what's that? What happ- like, what did you do? What happened?
1: Uh, we basically were um, kind of following a guy that we knew was coming through the border that we allowed to come through the border. Um, and we were in these undercover vehicles and we were just, he was on, he got on a train, they get on these trains out of near the border and we would, he would, we would basically wait for him to get off at a station. So if he didn't get off at the station, you know, we would basically haul ass down the freeway to the next station point, park somewhere, see if he would get off. And we kept doing that until he finally got off. And then we followed him, um, to a nearby neighborhood from, he got into a car, we followed him to a nearby neighborhood. And then when, uh, you know we went to he, he when he noticed us he took off on foot and i you know wasn't able to i can't run like that um so i just me being me i realized like you know that could be a bad situation for somebody or my partner or anybody that i'm working with if i can't run to like have his back or her back you know so did so, you ever
0: i was going to say did you ever go through like a depression like dude what's my purpose in life like what am i going to do now
1: after that you know after that i did um I, I started working like um, with like with the Intel, which was like, you know, dress in a suit and tie and go and work Intel. But the, 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 that just it didn't do it for me. It wasn't exciting for me. I just hated it being at a desk every day. And so I didn't enjoy that at all. And then me, you know, me and my wife at the time, we decided to like move up near home. She wanted um, due to the fact of like being everything that I you know went through and her being around a lot of guys that were wounded. And, you know, she was she cared for him a lot and stuff like that. Um, It really sparked her interest to become a nurse. And so she, uh, we moved up to Bakersfield, which was about four hours north of San Diego and closer to our family um, because she was going to go to school. There's a really good nursing school here in Bakersfield. So, you know, we moved here, we bought a house here. And then I, that's when I started to, you know, get get into my depression. I just basically would wake up every day and not have like anything to do. I didn't know what to do with myself. Um, And I just took pills, played video games and drank. And that's, you know, I just would wake up every day without a purpose and uh, it just continuously got worse and worse and time just kept going and going. And um, I mean, I literally remember sitting in this, on this Brown Ikea chair uh, that we had, like a little couch and, you know, my wife would try to get me to go to bed and I didn't want to. And I just, I was just depressed and I didn't like who I was, you know, and, I didn't feel manly and I didn't feel like I had a purpose and I just, I don't know. And so I, instead, instead I created these, I had these friends that I played with all the time that didn't know anything about me, didn't know that I couldn't like move or, you know, didn't know much about me. And so the only thing that they thought is just who I was, who I was. And I, you know, I felt like it was just a place where I felt like I could just be me without all, you know, without all the, the bullshit. And, um, so I just, that's what I did. I remember just having like three, four, five day bingers of no sleeping and just playing and the pills keeping me up and keeping me going and drinking and eating pizza and Doritos and junk food and stuff. And then, you know, I, I, I got lucky, you know, I, I had this thing that I called the you know, it was my, like, basically like my reckoning, um, was my wife at the time wanted to go to Disneyland, take our daughter to her, for her birthday to Disneyland for three days. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, I've never been to Disneyland, daughter's never been to Disneyland, wife never been to Disneyland. And so we, you know, we did the full thing. We, you know, stayed at Disneyland Hotel, we, you know, had Disney, uh, Mickey Mouse come up to the room for, you know, bring a present to my daughter. Right. And then the next day we went to go do Disneyland and I couldn't walk two blocks without having to sit down, uh, sweating profusely, in pain. Um,
0: obviously because of your leg but more so because of the lifestyle right
1: lifestyle yeah my leg the lifestyle everything and uh you know and 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 then i I remember getting to this bench near the rainforest cafe and just in agonizing pain and just have it and then taking pills to like try to get through the pain and then as you do this you know you're taking these pills that they you're, you're high man you're high you know it's just what they do and I remember just then getting to the line to stand in line to get in. I get agitated because I'm sweating because the pain and the pills are causing me to sweat. And I'm just uncomfortable and there's people around and I wasn't really good with dealing with people and and crowds and stuff. And then, uh, you know, so long story short, you know, we ended up only spending pretty much one and a half days at Disneyland and my wife just like, hey, let's just go home. It's just too much for you. And, and, uh, you know, then I became angry, you know, not at her, not at anybody else but myself. And I just realized that I, you know, I just ruined, uh, you know, my daughter's birthday, you know, her, her, the coolest thing, you know, that we have done as a family in a long time. And it was all just because of uh, being, uh, being selfish with myself, uh, not doing, you know, There at the time. I mean, shoot, there's, there's amputees out there running marathons. There's amputees doing this and that, and there's amputees doing stuff. It's not, uh, because I became an amputee or, you know, have damaged the way I have damaged that, um, Uh, I I shouldn't have been doing things. It was that I allowed myself to fall into that, that hole. And, uh, you know, I just remember driving over the grapevine and I didn't say a word, you know, the whole drive. I was just so upset with myself. And I remember just looking in the rearview mirror and seeing my daughter in the backseat and, you know, and and just so upset with myself and, you know, and, you know, my wife telling me, it's okay. Like, don't be mad like at yourself. Like, she's not going to remember it. And it's like, it's not about her remembering. It's about me remembering it you know, and well, what am I going to do when she's seven? You know, she's active and I can't get out there and be an active dad with her or, or something like that, you know? And I just told her, I said, I'm done. I'm done. And I said, when I get home, I'm going to get rid of every pill that I have. And of course she didn't really believe it. Cause I, you know, I'd said it before. And, and I'm telling you right now that car, I was driving that car. I don't even, I, I don't even remember putting that car in park before I was already out of that goddamn thing in that house grabbing every type of pill that I had and and flushing it down the toilet. And I know I get it, you know, shouldn't do that, you know, but I I had to, Uh, you know, and there's a lot of people that, you know, tell you not to do that for withdrawal reasons and stuff like that. But I knew what I had to do and I knew what the consequences were about to be without those pills.
0: So what, what is that? Because I know that there's people listening that, are suffering from addiction that have been stuck in a rut, whether it's their weight loss journey that never works out for the last 10 years or their mental state or whatever it is. What was that defining moment? Cause you've said, you've, you said it before, but for some reason this was different. What was different? Why, how can people grab that thing that you had in that moment?
1: You have to find something that is so meaningful for you to want to change it. You know, whether it be like, for me, it was my daughter. You know, I wanted to change my life for my daughter. As a dad, you owe her that. You owe you owe your kid that. And so that was me. And I was raised like that. You know, I had, a, I had great parents. Uh, you know, and uh, it's not it, it's not fair because of my own you know being selfish that my daughter uh, doesn't have a dad that's active or even coherent sometimes. You know, or or, or therefore, I mean, I you know. I You know, not to sound like a bad dad, but I mean, I was just, I neglected everything and everybody, including her. And she was the best thing. And I did everything that I would do would be for her. But it's like, but I wasn't, you know, I got to a point where I wasn't doing everything. And that's, so you 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 got to dig deep and and find your, you know, your why, you know, and and sit there and be like, well, why am I, why am I doing this? And and then you just got to do it. You know, everybody knows that I'm very spontaneous. I just will do random, shit, you know, and, and that's just how I feel like you got to do it. Sometimes you just got to do it. And so did I you go did through, it.
0: they said, don't flush that stuff for withdrawals. Did you go through withdrawals? Was it hard? Was it easy? What was it like?
1: It was a, it was horrid. Uh, I remember, uh, telling my wife that, you know, she, she knew that you know, she knew that what was going to happen. And I just said, I do not care. I do not care what you hear, what you see just let, just leave me, let me go, let's let me get through it. You know, I, I, I told her that I could get through it. I said, it's going to be, it's, I knew it was coming. I already knew, you know, and the first night I went to bed, I was fine. But then the next day, you know, I woke up and I was, I was, you know, fiending, I guess you could say. It's not like I was like, I was wanting, it's my body was wanting it. You know, I've been on narcotics from, I mean, I, you got to think, I was on Dilaudid, ketamine, methadone, Percocets, Oxy IRs, Oxy SRs. I mean, you name it, I was taking it. And I, I sometimes I was almost taking all of it. I was taking, you know, I, w- I was taking Oxycontins with, with uh, sleeping pills and things like that. And, I, you know, I, I just, I was on them, you know, and I was doing them. And, you know, the more you do them, the more, the more, the longer you do it, the more you do to get that feeling. Yeah. And my feeling was just, I wanted to numb my life at the time.
0: I have a tough question for you, but I feel led to ask it. So I'm going to ask it. What was a darker moment or a closer to death moment? The night that you got blown up and you're laying in the dirt or the night that you're laying in that room coming off of all the drugs, um, you know, coming
1: the, with the coming off of the, the drugs and the depression and stuff was scarier than Holy sitting there on the smokes. dirt because, because Can you to believe me
0: that answer, Eli? That's
1: unbelievable. Yeah. Because for me, it's I wasn't uh, even though I was laying there, I felt like I still had like some. Uh, okay, laying there in the dirt, I was dying for something great. Sitting there dying uh, because of pills or alcohol or suicide because of depression or whatever, I was literally dying for nothing. Nothing. Who, who you can't look back at that and be like. Oh, this guy died, like, a, you know, died, a, you know, went out a good way. How? If I would have died in Afghanistan, dude, you know, guns being popped off at my funeral, family being handed a flag, you know, people, you know, he my, He died, you know, pride is pride. There's no pride in dying from suicide, pills, alcohol. It's, it's all you're going to get is that you died and people feel sorry for you die over Afghanistan. Yeah. People are people sad. Hell yeah. But what would be better to say for my parents or my wife or my daughter? Oh, he died in Afghanistan, you know, fighting the enemy for, you know, this country, or he died from alcohol, overdosing on pills, killing himself, you know? And and so that's how, yeah. So definitely sitting there in that room, uh, you know, and not even just sitting in the room. I mean, the, the thoughts of suicide that ran, you know, had ran through my head before and, and, and talking to my mom and just, you know, and, and writing, I mean, fuck, I'll be honest, I, I wrote things up, you know, thinking that one day, you know, I'm just going to, I can't do this anymore. It's tough. It's tough, you know? And and the thing is that you have to realize that, uh, uh, you know, it, it, it's worth living if you can make your life worth living for, you can know? I put, and, uh, can I put a pin
0: right there and ask you to say something to the listeners right now who feel the way that you felt at that time? Someone's listening that's thinking about killing themselves. Someone's listening that's so trapped in addiction, they can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. You've been there and you've come out of it. What would you say to those people?
1: Uh, well, you know, uh, I get emotional if you can tell.
0: Me uh, too, man. Me too.
1: Well, it's just like what I used to tell myself: it's uh, your life matters, you know? Mm-hmm. And yeah, at the time I was pills, lost my career. Um, I felt like I had nothing. I didn't have no like self-worth. You know, I just felt like everything that I worked so hard for was taken from me from some, yep. you know, enemy guy. Uh, and it was all taken. And now here I am back to square one with no idea what the hell I'm going to do and how I'm going to provide for my family. And, and then my body was taken from me. I mean, the, the, I was a great athlete, a great soldier. It's gone. You know, and, and, and you have to realize that like, uh, you know, life is, life is long, long. And if you just give it time, things change. It may not change in a day, a week, a month, a year. And let me tell you what, it didn't change for me for years, but it changes and it all changes on based off of like what you wake up every day to do with yourself. And just waking up, opening your eyes and realizing I'm alive today could be worse. Standing up on your own two feet, and putting one in front of the other and just finding things that make you happy, you know, and realizing that the lifestyle that you're living of drug abuse, alcohol abuse, you're hurting yourself, but you're hurting every single person that's around you. And if you do go and you kill yourself, you may not realize it ever because you're no longer here but you've annihilated your family and you literally passed away in the most unprideful way that you can go. Um, You know, there's that story of that guy that jumped off the golden state bridge and everybody knows like when you jump off the golden state bridge, the the percentage, you know, it's basically death. You die. Well, he jumped off the golden gate bridge and he, and he got to, he lived to tell the story of his fall. And he said when he, left, when he left that bridge and he was falling, he remembers realizing that he just made the biggest mistake of his life. And he started thinking about his mom and thinking everybody he was about to hurt. And he lived. And that's just how, that's how, it, that's how you have to live your life, is realizing that you're, you, there's a, you could make the mistake that you never get the second opportunity to realize as it's going that you 're never going to get to come back to like fix that, and with life, there is no restart button there is no put co- another quarter in and, and restart you know you, you yeah. once you're gone you're gone and that's the end of it and uh, that's the way that I started realizing it you know and I went through those withdrawals and I just knew every day that I was sick that I just wanted to change my life and it took that it was taking that step to change my life and I sat there and I fought it for three days, sick as a dog, sweating, sick, sick. Uh, you know, my wife just trying to bring in and give me soup and stuff to like put something in my stomach. And, well, you know, I just remember I finally woke up one day and I felt okay. You know, and, and a week later, I was down at the nutrition store buying supplements and going to the gym. Wow! And that's when my life started changing. And it, all it took was nutrition store and going to the gym to get. That's what started to the life that I'm at now
0: where are you at? Where are you at right now? So, I mean, before your motivation was your daughter. Now you got your daughter. Uh, I know you're a fantastic dad. I know if you go to Disneyland, you're going to tear it up. Now you ain't going to sit at no park bench.
1: Oh, we've done it. We've done it. We went back in three days and I kicked (laughs) Disneyland's ass up and down, you know, you know,
0: I I, I I took Mickey Mouse by the throat and I
1: let Mickey (laughs) (laughs) down. I might owe Disneyland Disneyland more money now because I went through the rides and, you know, it was funny because like, you know, I remember just going there and we're just getting at it, you know, when my daughter was older. And actually, you know, my daughter's asleep in her stroller and stuff. And I'm like, no, <laughs> hell no. Wake no, up. No, like, wake up. We got stuff to do, you know. And 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 that's the thing, too, is, uh, you know, it's uh, I live a very, very fast-paced life. Uh, I think it's because I, I, I try to make up for the time lost that I have yeah. with my life and with my daughter. And that's the thing, too, is, uh, you know, guess what? We all got a sad story, every single one of us. Every person has a sad story. But the thing is, is I, you know, when I was sitting there, I realized as I sat there depressed in the beginning, everybody was there for me. They were there calling me, making sure I was okay. But at the end of the day, as time goes, one, people don't want that negativity every day. It's draining. You, it drains everybody around you over a period of time. Two, Everybody else got, they got their lives to live too. So as I sat there on those couch, on that couch and did this stuff, guess what happened? The world kept turning. Family kept living and kept doing their stuff. And I lost a whole year plus of my life that I can't get back where, because everybody just kept doing a thing and you will get left sitting there alone, period. Because No people just aren't going to stay around and call you every day to make, you know, they're going to, they're going to help you the best they can. But if you're not going to help yourself, nobody can help you.
0: Is you have that one person that called you out, that called you to the carpet um, that lifted you up, that elevated you. Do you have that person? Yeah. My mom, I mean, my mom, when I'm,
1: even to this day, when I'm messing up, my mom would call me like, Casey, what the hell are you doing? Right. (laughs) <laughs> you know, she, 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 me and my mom were, we're close, you know, but my mom's the most unbiased person ever, you know, I'm her son. And if I'm messing up with my lady, my mom's calling ripping my butt, you know, or, <laughs> you know, if I'm doing something wrong, she'll be like, why are you
0: doing that? And How far away do you go? live from your mom? Yeah, huh? How far away do you live from your mom? I
1: live 45 minutes from my mom.
0: Oh, so she can still come by and get <laughs> oh, you.
1: Oh, yeah, she comes. Oh, she comes down. She, and if I don't, you know, and if she don't hear from me, she'll call me, she like, what's wrong? I'm like, nothing, why? She's like, well, I haven't heard from you. I'm like, I'll just, you know, or I mean, she gets on to me for everything. And I, and I just, you know, my mom just like that. She, you know, my mom just, she knows what kind of person I am. And, you know, she, she tries, she keeps me, she keeps me on track. And, you know, she keeps me grounded. And like, you know, I, I remember there was times even like, couple years ago you know I was going through a real big rut and I remember her sitting down and and I was depressed and I I got into a depressed state and she I remember she's like you know what you're a fake I said what she was you're a fake and I said what are you talking about she was all that stuff you put out there to everybody all that motivation and all this don't give up stuff you're a fake because you're not even living it and I was like no you're damn you're right you're right and, and and it lit me up. And I'm like, all right, yeah, you are right. I, I need to get my I need to get together. And I just it's my mom, man. She's just been like that.
0: So does she does she go to your powerlifting tournaments? Let's talk about that. I mean, because you go to some places that I see you lifting at on your Instagram, like it looks like you are in a steel cage about to take on The Undertaker, and people <laughs> yeah. are just screaming at you, and you're just raw. Like, does she go to those? Yeah,
1: my mom, you know, was definitely there for my very first full power meet that I ever did. Um, it was a very big event because uh, everybody knew about it pretty much. Uh, leading into it, you know, I, it was something I had been basically pushing, you know, everybody watching me on social media, like go through it for about a year, learning how to do everything and training for it. And it was at the LA Fit Expo. And um, yeah, man, my mom was there. My, my wife at the time was there. My daughter was there. Everybody was there. And then I remember you know, I was getting ready to do this deadlift of 600 pounds and I had failed this deadlift uh five times. i would never pulled it. And I just knew at that comp, I wanted it I wanted it so bad. And I had a couple of good powerlifters there at the time, a girl named Gracie who like was there to like hype me up and get me going. And then I had Ed Cohen there. Ed Cohen is the greatest powerlifter to ever live. He's the Muhammad Ali, you know, Michael Jordan of like powerlifting. And this guy's the best, you know? Yeah. And I remember getting through my squat and the squat is so, t- is, it's, it's very, very tough for me to do. It's the hardest thing for me to do. And there's a video of after me completing my last and final squat, the, the, everybody freaks out and Ed comes through and Ed's like trying not to get emotional. And you could just see the chills on his body from like, you know, what I just did, you know, it was just, it was, it was crazy. And then, um, I remember, uh, him sitting there cause he was calling my numbers. He was, te- he was telling the, uh, the judges what my next numbers would be. And I remember just sitting there telling them that I, I was like, I want that 600 pound deadlift. And he goes, well, you better go out there and pull these two first ones. And all. and if you want it then you better pull them pretty damn good. And I remember I went and pulled the first deadlift. And when I sat down, I said, I got it. He goes, I'm telling you right now, I'm going to go up there and put a number up. You better pull this even faster than that one. You're not getting 600. And I was like, you know, it lit me up. And, and I went out there and pulled my second one. And I remember just walking by him and just being like, give it to me. You What's know? the second
0: one, 550?
1: Uh, my second one was 555, I believe it was, right Damn. around there,
0: yeah. So now you're going for 600, which you've never done before.
1: Yeah, so I'm in the back. I'm in the back behind the stage, you know, uh, getting myself ready to come back out there. And, like, as I'm back there, I, I, I can tell it's getting louder. And We have a guy on the mic. He's like the hype guy. And there was this um, world-class powerlifter, his name is Brandon Allen. Um, he was actually the very first powerlifter that I ever really saw uh, that I was, was like, is what pulled me into the sport. I remember him coming out, me watching him in Vegas and him coming out from the back. And he was just this mammoth of a man and strong as a beast. And there was just so much hype and, and energy and adrenaline. And I was, that's when I was like, oh, this is what I want to do. Like it just, it fed me. Yep. And I felt it. And that he, so it was just really crazy that a guy that I had watched, a world-class powerlifter I'm now lifting with on yeah. the same day, but now he's in the back. And I remember him just grabbing me and looking at me. He's like, dude, you don't know what's going on out there right now. And I was like, what do you mean? He goes, everybody from the whole entire expo has just walked up and it, it, you're, you're literally going to go out there and you're going to change powerlifting forever. Let's go. And he just got me hyped. And I was like, you know, and I remember just coming out there and then there's, there's Ed and then there's Gracie and we have this video, you know, she's hyping me and she's like, you know, and then, um, the hype got on the mic. I just remember hearing him, you know, how bad do you want this? You know, and I'm just, everything was set perfectly. (laughs) And I bought the 600 pound deadlift in front of thousands of people. And it, uh, Became the greatest one of the greatest moments of my life
0: <laughs> you can't it, talk it, about without getting emotional uh,
1: no, it changed it changed everything i I did it in front of my family but I did it in front of my daughter you know and uh and, you know and the thing was it was a journey it, you know I had been told by everybody that it was going to be impossible to do what it is that I did and uh did it, and it was Dude. Uh, that, that's that's when the life changed for me I that's freaking when, uh, love you bro yeah that's when it changed that's when uh Social media took off and I found like my niche, I found it, you know, I found what it is that I wanted to do. And I wanted to motivate people to show people like I was out of, I was on the bottom of the hole, you know, and I, I've been, I had been through it, you know, from being blown up to depression, to drug abuse, alcohol abuse, uh, neglecting life, just, you know, suicide thoughts. I mean, anything and everything. I, I, man, I fought back like a dog and it uh, did it. And it took, it's a journey and it's a marathon. And that's the thing is it didn't happen. overnight. I mean, I trained for one year to do that one competition, Jeez. you know, a total of what, maybe seven minutes on a, on a platform total, you know, I, I, and I went through it, you know, from injuries to, to wanting to quit, to just like thinking it, it is not possible to do. And then getting up there and doing it in front of everybody.
0: Let me ask you this, when you, and I watch you on your videos, when you stand up and you completed that lift, you're screaming. Yeah. Yeah, what, I know you're screaming at the crowd, I know you're pumped up, but I feel like there's something else behind that. What are you screaming at?
1: It was like a release of all the demons that were were inside me, you know, all the doubt that I had in myself. Uh, it was uh, for my brothers that weren't there anymore, and it was just this, it was just to let everything out, and I knew what it was doing in front of everybody, and I just wanted to create a, a moment and an energy that me, my daughter, and every single person that was there watching uh, could, could look back and remember. and I do to this day, you know'll I'll repost that video, which I just did not too long ago. dude, when people will be like. Dude, I remember being there and the feeling of it. That was six years ago or so, I think. Yeah. You know, it's just like, it was, a, it was a time and a place that, you you know, I, I, it was a release for me of everything that I've been through. And it was so an awesome. impact that I knew was about to just staple some stuff on some people's lives and hopefully, you know, motivate people. And Now, like, now it's crazy, man. You can't, I know so, I get tagged on so many amputee powerlifters now. It's incredible. So and none weird. of these are doing it. And, you know, now, <laughs> they're, 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 now they're tagging me and telling me that oh, I'm coming for you. And I'm like, hell yeah. Don't come for me. Surpass me. You know, surpass me, man. You know,
0: you inspire so many people. And I know for a fact that you saved at least one life today with your story. I know for a fact, how can people support you? How could people honor you for what you've done for our country and just honor you as a human being, obviously follow you on social media, but, Everyone needs something. What what do you need? How can people support you? What's next for you? Oh man, I mean, you know, you
1: know, here is a. Th- I just I just want you know I'm working on it myself. You know, I just want everybody to just be better better humans, man. I I'm I working on it myself every day. Um, you know, the country's in a, in, a, in a rough spot right now. There's just so much division, you know, the, you know, everybody's divided and this and that. And, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we wake up and we're just, we're we're all Americans, man. We're all human beings. And uh, we all got lives to live, you know, you know, for me, you know, like I, you know, I was in the industry, fitness industry and I was uh, sponsored by companies. And then, you know, I get to a point where I'm like, I can be able to do this forever. I can't lift, I can't lift these hundreds of pounds forever, especially as strenuous as powerlifting is for uh, an elite athlete you know, with me, with my body and all the injuries and and stuff that I have, you know, it was, it's, it's catching up to me, you know? And so I, I I had to figure out like, what am I going to do with my life and how am I going to continue to live a fun life and, 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 uh, provide for my, my family. And, you know, so I I got away from the, I, I, Oh man, I, I basically walked away from all my sponsorships that I had, which was probably near $7,000 a month of sponsorships. I walked away from all of them. Uh, and put everything I had into starting up my own supplement company called Rising Labs. And uh, I started off with just a couple little products here and there. And, and it, it was crazy the amount of support that I got right out the gate. And I work hard on these personally all the time.
0: And where can people get it? What's it called?
1: Rising Labs. So it's a risinglabsco.com is the website of like my supplements from pre-workouts to aminos, to protein, to fat burners. Um, you know, I'm, I'm constantly working on things. I mean, we're working on a, on a, on a heart pack that's for, you know, to, that, that is just strictly to work on, you know, um, give you, you take these pills that'll work with for heart health, cardiovascular health. Um, we got greens and reds that are coming out next month, you know, which basically you drink them in the morning and it gives you your daily value of vegetables and fruits that you need, you know, for the day. Um, you know, so we're just, you know, constantly working on things. And like I said, I started out with four products, one flavor of each, and now I got, man, I, I got 15 plus SKUs now, you know, and and I'm I'm about to be a two-year-old company. And you know, I the thing was that I expanded, I, I hit my third expansion because everything was just moving that way. And I moved into my third expansion and then two months later COVID hit. Yeah. And, uh, you know out of 50, 60% drop in sales, you know, and, you know, and so you're just, you know, I'm here. I'm not a businessman, you know, ex ex infantry guy and I'm learning, I'm learning, but I love it. I love, I love it. And this is another, this is like, you know, one of the, this is another huge challenge for me is to like do this. And um, I love it. And I'm, and I, I pack and ship my orders and I, and I work here every day and it's, I'm still doing it, you know, and, uh, yeah. So, you know, it's just, yeah, I mean, that's just what I'm doing now with this company. And, you know, just, you know, think about, think about people, you know, I guess you could say, I, you know, I'm not sitting here saying like, you know, please go out and buy my stuff, you know?
0: No, I'll tell him go out there and buy his stuff, go out there and buy Casey's stuff. You need it, whether it's heart health or whether it's your daily fruits and vegetables, or whether you want to get big and massive and be a monster like he is, go to risinglabsco.com, get your supplements and man, follow him at That One Leg Monster, T-H-A-T, and the number one L-E-G monster on everything. Let me ask you this before I let you go. Um, uh, Pain-wise, how are you? Does it hurt when you lift? Does it hurt when you sleep? Wake up.
1: So, you know, I have this thing. Uh, uh, you know, I woke up today. And uh, I just, I woke up today and, you know, I, you know, I, I, I showed you my, my schedule for today and, it's a long day, you know, and, and I, there's times that I wake up and I woke up like that today, actually. And I was very excited to do this podcast, you know, and I, everything and I. That's
0: awesome. Uh, I, I,
1: I, I, I've been in pain for 10 years. Uh, it's, it's, it's rough. Uh, you know, I got blown up in 2010. And for a decade, I feel like I've been tortured every single day. Um, there's nothing because I don't take pain pills. You know, I, I, I do not take pain pills refuse I my even my my girl now I I refuse to even take ibuprofen for headaches you know I just don't do it uh I've just learned to live without it um I've learned that uh you know I if I'm in pain I can grind it out and uh the pain you know it settles down as as a tad you know or I just get through it it's just the way it is for me
0: where do you Um, where do you have pain right now in my whole body.
1: body. My whole body. It's just the way it is. My, what, my your legs back, hurt. your neck, my your back. Knee, hurts. Yeah, it's just, you know, everything is just, you know, it's not, you know, my injuries, it was like, you know, both my legs were are were torn up. You know, I had a fractured back. You know, my arm is banged up. And then I do this type of training, and this, you know, I'm a very active guy. Um, but the thing is, is that uh when I am not active, the pain is even worse. You know, uh, yeah. you know, it's just me being active, I feel like uh, it's kind of keeping me keeping me mobile, you know, a little bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, I wake up sometimes and I sit on the edge of bed. And I'm like, why the hell am I doing this? Why am I just, why? And then I'll like open up like a DM or something. I mean, shit, open this right now. And, and I had DMs this morning of these guys, just like guys and girls messaging me, man, like, dude, I just, I, I needed you. I needed you. I needed to see what you wrote today. Right. And i right there. I'm like, ah, that's why I can do this. That's that right there is why I do this. So now it's to a point where I may not get to be in the military and lead soldiers anymore, but I'm leading people now.
0: I think your platform is going to be bigger than it ever could have been in the military with what you're doing. I think this is the beginning. I think when you look back and you had that day where you deadlifted 600 pounds in front of everyone, that was the moment. I think that was the floor and you haven't hit the ceiling yet. And I really, really do believe that in my heart. And I think, I mean, dude, you're young. What are you, 36?
1: Yeah, about to be 36 in April. About to be 36. I feel like I'm 66. I know.
0: (laughs) But let me tell you this, man, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart. And I can't even imagine the things that you've seen, the things that you felt. And I don't know what it's like to, like you said, see people pray and it not work. And I'm all about results. And I, it, I'm exactly like you. If I pray for something and, I seize, and, and I'm not seeing results, I'm not about it. And I could tell you this, man, this is a good day for you because you ran into a man of God today that knows the character and nature of God, and I know for a fact that God is going to touch you right now, and you are going to feel no pain if you will let me pray for you, can yeah, I? Yeah, absolutely. Now, and, you, and you're not a liar. You would you would tell me straight up if oh, you no,
1: feel No, because I, no, I, I totally, you know, I, I, I do the whole praying thing with family and stuff like that. And like I said, it's not that I don't believe in it. It's just I just choose to just believe in a higher power and not select like Catholic or Christian or Baptist or atheist or this or that is the one for me. That's what I mean by that. It's not that I don't believe in something. It's just that I choose not to choose a religion, basically.
0: How about this? I feel like your entire life, people have been trying to save you, save your soul, pray the prayer so you'll go to heaven. So at least I know you have fire insurance and you're in. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about God just loving you because he paid the ultimate price and he already put that inside of you. Like you... Are have already shown that you would die for your brothers. Right. And I probably know that you probably already have a lot of regret and you've asked yourself those questions, why am I alive and they're not. But I'll tell you this, man, the ultimate price has already been paid for your life because it matters. And what you're doing every single day is evidence that God is shining through you. And right now, God's just going to love you, dude. Is that cool? And I'm going to pray for you. And I, want I get you to-
1: it, trust me. I, I get it because you know, I've had people tell me that uh, god had this journey for me and he picks the strongest people to do these types of journeys and and and, and it's hard to not believe that because i'm frigging right here doing it you know and <laughs> and you know it's it's hard not to believe that you know and it's like i said it's just it, i've just been i've just been and seen sure. some rough stuff and it, it just hurts you know and uh uh i've done real well getting past a lot of it you know Absolutely. i don't i don't i don't think about it every day i, I don't um uh, i don't have any regrets or turmoil or anything like that i just wake up every day and 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 try to keep living you know the best that I can and I'm not a perfect man I make a lot of mistakes you know but yeah I get told that a lot that you know God picks the strongest ones to do these types of journeys and hey if that's what he's doing for me he owes, he, he owes me when I get up there damn it because <laughs> you know I mean? he's he's, been, he's he's got me he's got me he's got me going through it you know and and uh, you know but I stay strong and I stay focused and I stay moving forward and you know, yeah, there's days that I sit there and ask myself and maybe me asking myself that personally is like maybe my way of praying, I guess you could say, you know? And so, yeah, I mean,
0: no, I'm with, I'm with you. Cause I'm not about the whole religious thing. I love, I love the Lord. Jesus has showed me too many things for me to not believe. And like, Jesus is my hero and I've seen him. I've seen him heal so many people that I can't believe anything other than healing. So Let's be honest with each other. So right now I'm going to pray, and you got to tell me if you feel a tangible difference or not. So, Lord, I thank you for Casey. I thank you for his life. I thank you for his heart, that he's got the heart of David. He's got the heart of a champion, and that he has pushed through more than any of us will ever even imagine, and you've preserved him and you've kept him safe. And right now I pray that you make yourself real, tangible to him by healing the pain in his body, Holy Spirit, right now, in Jesus' name, touch his body. Pain leave, in Jesus' name. Amen. And I thank you. Hey, you're going to sleep better. And uh, I pray that God continues to just renew your mind, and the things that you've seen will be filled with revelation of what he's doing in your life. Now, be honest. Do you feel any better in your body?
1: I feel grateful, man. And, yeah, I feel, you know, the anytime I get to come here and, and, and speak about things and, and, and this is it, you know, like I said, this is, you know, from the t- time we talk to you praying, dude, it's, it's, it's I feel grateful and, Yes. Uh, for the moments that we have been sitting here talking. Yeah. You know, I don't th- sit here and get, I'm not thinking about the pain. And when you're sitting there, me listening to you pray, I'm not thinking about or feeling the pain. So yeah, man. I mean, thank you. <laughs>
0: you're the man, dude. I freaking love you,
1: bro. Thanks for coming on level up. Yeah, man. Absolutely. Anytime, dude. And, you know, if anybody, you know, I tell everybody I'm a pretty, you know, when people will see me on social media and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, uh, you think that my social media platform's too big, that I'll never see a message. Try me one time. Guarantee you I respond back to you because uh,
0: I'm
1: that guy, you know, I, I I'm not, uh, I'm not, I don't care for the Instagram fame. I care for uh, the people that follow me and need the motivation from me and, and, and reach out for the help. And that's what I'm about. And that's what I'm going to continue to do. The, the fame stuff, I, I don't, I don't think I'm famous. I just, I think I'm kind of blessed in a way to got to, you know, sit here and kind of uh, um, motivate and, and help people get through times and, and keep people living. You know, like yep. you said, yeah, I, trust me. I know I've talked to a guy, I'll never forget a story. that I talked to a guy in the UK who got a hold of me. And we talked on the phone and he was literally getting ready to hang himself with a rope. And I talked him out of it. Three years later, he's now remarried happiest guy in the entire world. And he thanks me every, almost every day that I talked them out of that rope. And, uh, uh, that's, that, that's what I'm, that's, that's what I'm here to do is to uh, lead people into, uh, uh, realizing that they're worth something and that they can accomplish things. And, uh, I I'll, I'll use my body and everything like that to uh push that upon them until I no longer can.
0: Dude, You're uh, the man. Thank you so much. Casey Mitchell, everybody, that one leg monster. He is the man, the myth, the legend, And if you liked today's podcast, please share it and make sure you like, subscribe, give a five-star rating, whether it's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or of course, YouTube. Thank you so much, Casey Mitchell, that one-leg monster, and thank you so much for another episode of Level Up.